This is a rebroadcast of BK on the Air. If you hear a telephone number, please don't call, as you will become one with the dark side of the Force. But I was going into Toshi Station to pick up some power converters. You know, I've really got to make sure that everything's in, in place and get and where it's supposed to be, and I'm where I'm supposed to be, and where I'm sitting, and where I'm if I'm facing toward the way I'm <laughs> supposed to be facing. Oh, the microphone's this way. I got to turn around because, man, I just uh, just got back from vacation, so it's always interesting to come back from vacation and uh, back to where you, I would say, belong. Some people wouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> agree with that but it's where i like to be let's put it that way the, the place i like to be is right here uh am 1450 and 100.3 fm wbhf at our broadcast central right here in beautiful northwest georgia just northwest of atlanta in cartersville georgia we got a beautiful view outside our station here of the downtown area and when the weather is beautiful it's nice and even when it's bad we get to look at the pretty rain and the lightning but not today very mild, very cool, and very awesome outside the window today. And awesome inside here, because I'm looking across the way here at uh, Alan Sanders' uh, cute little face over there, uh, sitting across from me on the other microphone in a seat that I kept warm for him uh, while he was doing Boy, his show. Boy, you did a so, generous job. Yeah, I don't have as much coverage, like you said, as before, but I, I try harder. <laughs> Don't ask me what that means. Okay. <laughs> Just so we'll keep it secret of how I keep a seat warm. Uh, yeah, so uh, we had a, it's been mm, a beautiful... aromatic. Okay, if you say so. <laughs> we were going to go to the beach originally this week, but we didn't go. We changed our plans and went up into the North Georgia mountains, the beautiful area of North Georgia, a uh, town called Blairsville, just outside of Blairsville at a, a lake, one of our many lakes in the state of Georgia called Lake Notley, Lake Notley. And it's a beautiful place up there and beautiful weather too, by the way. I mean, I love it when it's mild. When I can go out and have a good time and sit on the pier or sit outside and do something and just have maybe a ceiling fan on or off out on the on the porch area. And it's like 75, maybe, and one morning it was 59 when we got up. So I had a good cup of coffee out there mm. with me and sitting there. You know, it takes a lot for Walt into darkness and I to uh, not wear short shorts outside, short pants, you know, cargo pants or something. I know. I mean, it takes a, it ta- it has to get down into the lower 50s before I, if it's, if, if, if I'm casually dressed i'm still in shorts until it gets like into the lower 50s that's just the way i've always been i don't know why i was that way when i was a kid so i found out weight had nothing to do with it i've just always been that way i'm like oh you're that way because you're 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 big big fat guy i'm like no that's not why it may be part of it but uh i've just always (laughs) been that way and i grew up in the south where it's hot right in the summer and never got acclimated to it and never got used to it they're like oh you get used to it you're from here no i'm not i never got used to being well hot. i'm used to it in the sense i can function in it doesn't I mean i function like yeah yeah i just never got i never got to where i found it oh, okay it's going to be 100 degrees today i still just really didn't like it but uh, it is the humidity as we all know mm-hmm. and the humidity's high it can be 80 degrees and pleasant but if the humidity's up there in the 90 percent it feels still pretty bad yeah, it's like, you oh, know, it just feels muggy. Just it's getting terrible. to your beach versus the mountains. Yeah, there's. I like the beach. Don't get me wrong. I do too. I love it. But as I've gotten older, there is something so cool about being in the mountains, being in right. a cabin, being outside. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Seeing seeing actual mountains. Now, granted, not like the same as the Rockies, but you still. Right. 
you're you see cloud cover come in you right. see wisps in the valley i mean yeah i love that and the only reason that i prefer the beach over the mountains and it's only me personally speaking is i grew up in the mountains so i'm from i'm from northeast alabama where the appalachian runs through you know the fort Payne area goes all the way through north georgia and all the way up through tennessee it's the same mountain range so i am used to being in the mountains but I do like going back. I don't live. I live. We live near. Uh, we're in the suburb of Metro Atlanta. But uh, there's no mountainous here. But still, we got a lot of parks and woods here, though. Mm-hmm. But the mountains. I kind of grew up in that area. My grandparents lived there. So now I go to the beach because I didn't grow up there, and it's just a different terrain. And I don't. I'm not there all the time. So that's the only reason I just beach edges out mountains just a little bit. Now, if I grew up at the beach, maybe it'd be a different story. Oh, I love going to the mountains because I didn't I didn't grow up there. It's just really nice. Now, the mountains out there and uh, the hills and the mountains in California are even different <laughs> than the ones here. We saw them out there in 2017 when we went out to Los Angeles and we're like, oh, these are these are brown hills. They don't really have a lot of vegetation on them. It's very <laughs> odd looking to see. But yeah, different style. I feel recharged, re-energized. I think it's great. I'm just glad it didn't interfere with our with my Saturday because that's usually what it does. When I go out of town to the beach, I'm usually gone on the weekend, so I didn't miss either Saturday, the last Saturday, or this Saturday. Awesome. But a lot yeah. of things. I'm glad I didn't get have that outpatient procedure that I was going to have because I got better on my own. Yes, it does happen sometimes. You do get better on your own, so don't be so quick to. Go under the knife under something, even if they recommend it. And I found that out on my own. I had a condition where it said, you know, if you're under 65, this condition may reverse itself if you have if you've had it less than a year. So I said, oh, and mine did. But what was interesting, though, is I was never told that (laughs) by the surgeon I talked to. Really? So I'm like, yeah. Why would? Why didn't they Almost not tell me like that? They want to make sure they collect their paycheck. Because I did. Because because I. You know what I did? I went and looked it up and researched it myself. Now I know there's kook sites out there that'll tell you anything. Yeah, if you spread peanut butter all over your body and flap your arms like a bird on top of your house, it'll go away. No, I'm not talking about those type of places. I'm talking about a lot of the the reputable places where you read about. You know, oh, I've got this. What could this mean? Or I've been diagnosed with this thing, and they say I need an operation to get rid of it. What about it? And then I did some research, and that's what I found out, and it happened to me, and I was so happy. Well, Believe me, I'm ho- the, the the procedure I was going to get without getting too graphic. The procedure I was going to get, the recovery time was going to be worse than the procedure. It would take 45 minutes to do to me what it would take to do to me, but I'd be out of it. I'd be down. I wouldn't be able to lift anything heavier than a, a pencil <laughs> for th- probably three weeks. I would have to take it easy and recover, and it would have been a horrible recovery time. But I'm glad I ain't going to have to go through that. Yeah, this is, I've, knock on wood, haven't had to have any kind of surgical procedure that would knock me out so far. And sick. Oh, we, already, we already talked about you before. Everything is hitting you all at once one day. One day. You're going to have everything imaginable, and you're going to disappear like a Thanos finger snap. It's gonna be like a, <laughs> you're going to, and there's one ash go? floating away. <laughs> But you'll be like, uh, you'll be like when Star when it hit Star Lord, because as he faded out, you know, when you fade out, when they faded out in the Avengers, mm-hmm. that the little remnant of their face, you could see the outline and the dust as it went away, and and you'd be like Star Lord, you're gonna you're gonna go, oh no, <laughs> <laughs> it's like I'm gone. Oh, That's aw. it. I had so much I wanted to do that was left to do. This is kind of like the last thing I wanted to have happen. I hadn't, I hadn't been to England to the Royal Shakespeare Company to do that tour right. yet. Right. <laughs> 
<laughs> I, need, <laughs> I have to I do that. I still need to go to the Globe. Come on. <laughs> yeah, that's great. So, uh, But we're going to have fun today. It's BK on the air. 770-386-1450 is our number. If you want to call us and join in on any of the fun or the discussion or add to it, or if I say something that sparks your memory, they go, hey, I remember that, and but I remember this about it, and he didn't say that. I'm going to call him. Or if you want to correct me, some people are listening to make sure I'd say the right <laughs> thing. And I don't so much mind that because if I make a big faux pas, that's fine. You can call me up and tell me that I was wrong about that and tell me what the right thing is. But uh, we're first up, after we hear from uh, Take a Break, Golden Rage of TV with Pat McCormack. Uh, he's he's going he's getting fat today. Talk about getting fat. He's going to be talking about Fat Albert <laughs> today. Nice Saturday morning. So we'll hear from Pat McCormick and Fat Albert. And when we come back, we'll talk about, you know, Michael Gambon passed away. I know that. Uh, Dumbledore from Harry Potter. And Alan and I are both big Harry Potter fans. My wife and I are Harry Potter fans. Alan's whole family, all of us are Harry Potter fans. So we'll discuss him and talk a little bit about him and share some thoughts, too, when we come back. It's BK on the Air. How about a movie, lovely lady? This bar is dark, but with a flick of my beck, I can see you're a hick. Coffee, tea, or a flick of my beck? Flick of the beck, sir? Oh, a flick of the beck, sir? Why just light up when you can flick your beck? It's smooth, easy on the thumb, and you get thousands of flicks from a single beck. The beck butane. Stop flicking your beck. They call me Yuck Mouth, cause I don't brush. Oh, I like my teeth like this. They call me Yuck Mouth, no, I won't brush. How's about a little kiss? I got most beef in my teeth, got some chicken too. Ouch, that's a cavity, hey, that's new. Well, if you don't brush your teeth, then get you too. Can be a Yuck Mouth. Don't be a Yuck Mouth. Another nutritional message from the ABC Television Network. Now back to the show. Fellow classic TV fans, Fat Albert and the Cosby Kids was a Saturday morning show that debuted in 1973. Created by Bill Cosby, the character of Fat Albert was based on a real childhood friend named Albert Robertson. The show followed a group of African-American kids living in the inner city, with each episode focusing on different moral lessons and issues faced by young people of the day. Besides Albert, my favorite characters included Mushmouth, who sounded like the dentist administered an overdose of Novocaine. Also, William Bill Cosby, based on Cosby himself, who, like Fat Albert, was often the voice of reason. There was Russell Cosby, Bill's younger brother, who was actually based on Bill's real-life brother. But my personal favorite was Rudy Davis, a sharp-dressed, smooth-talking, cocky fellow who really was a good-hearted kid who usually learned his lessons the hard way. Despite the inevitable downfall of its creator, the series was notable for its positive messages, educational content, and diverse representation of black culture. It tackled peer pressure, drug use, and racism in a way that was relatable and engaging for young viewers. 
Fat Albert, in particular, became a beloved icon of 1970s pop culture, inspiring a comic book series, a movie adaptation, and numerous other spin-offs and merchandise. The show's catchy theme song, Gonna Have a Good Time, was composed by Rick Shelton and Edward Fournier. It was performed by singer Michael Gray, and the background vocals were done by Miss Betty Davis Eyes herself, Kim Carnes. This is Pat McCormick with your Retro TV trivia from the Golden Rage of TV. Be sure to check out my podcast, Retro TV Radio, available on most podcast platforms. It's full of classic TV celebrity interviews, and I'm adding more all the time. And while you're there, be sure to subscribe and leave me a positive rating. And speaking of positive rating, now back to BK on the Air. Saturday morning that we all know and love growing up watching Fat Albert and the Cosby Kids. I was there every Saturday morning. I was glued to television and watched Fat Albert was one of the many shows that I did watch. But I, I tended to um, I tended to gravitate towards CBS for some reason. I mean, if it wasn't on CBS, I didn't get to watch it because CBS had all the fil- most of the filmation shows by the by the uh, animated production company Filmation and sometimes live action stuff and most of their shows were on CBS and Fout Albert was no exception but what I is another one of those shows remember that um, Mary Poppins did this I was always fascinated as a kid when live action would be mixed with animation when you had the live action guy inter intermixing with the animated characters and they did that in Mary Poppins uh, mm-hmm. they've done it a lot of things since then but um, they also did it and Fat Albert, where Bill Cosby would be standing in the junkyard talking to you, like Pat said, and telling you kind of about, you know, well, today we're going to learn about this guy who was not so nice of a guy, but he liked to uh, play games, and he, and he would set it up for you. And then even during the title sequence, uh, the, 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 the Cosby kids would write on the sign or hold the sign saying some, what some of the credits were on the sign, and they'd throw it off screen, and it would go off to Bill Cosby, and he would catch it like he was mm-hmm. interacting with them. He was there. He was there. So just a lot of people pull from their childhood to make things. That's a perfect example, too, with Bill Cosby remembering growing up in his childhood. Oh, I'll make an animated show out of all these guys that I knew. You know, uh, Red Fox did it with Sanford and Son because Red Fox's actual real name, I think, is was Sanford. And he made that about people that he knew growing up, uh, growing up when he did and, and talking about St. Louis, Missouri and all this stuff. So. You got to admit, a lot of people's imaginations and stuff when they write things uh, that is, is a lot, a lot of times based on their own life. But they change. They the names have been changed to protect the innocent. But some of those characters carry over into their stuff that they create later. Well, I mean, those memories, it's those life. impressions, though they can become the impetus to create something. It, right. Obviously, based on doesn't mean it's the exact. And we shouldn't do right. that. We shouldn't read into when someone's influenced by the friends they grew up with. doesn't mean that they're the exact. It's not a biopic. <laughs> right. And uh, Hugh Wilson. I mean, he turned his experience as a uh, as working in radio into a show called WKRP in Cincinnati. He just changed the, the, the letters and took a little bit of this radio station he worked at and a little bit of that one and made it into one show. Uh, he knew he knew Dr. Johnny Fever growing up. He knew a guy like that. He knew a guy like Mr. Carlson. Right. He knew that. So personal experience. I mean, how can you not pull from all of that? Even if you're a writer creating something, your past influence in your life growing up has to influence stuff like that, your creativity. Because right. where do you think it comes from? 
Well, you know, the first they rule, <laughs> if you've ever taken a creative writing class, they say, write what you know. But yeah. How can you write what you don't know? You can write what you know and put it in a situation and go, okay, I'm going to write about an experience I had, but make it a science fiction film. Mm -hmm. But it's mostly what I heard and learned in these characters, but I'm going to bring them into this setting. You know, uh, people people told Gene Runbury, you know, uh, Star Trek's just wagon train to the stars. You know, the, the Western wagon train, they were, on a, they were on a wagon train going out into uncharted territory in the West, encountering weird and interesting people and things and yep. conflicts and fighting things. That's what Star Trek was. We're on this ship going out into the into space to uh, to and how much does Shakespeare rub off on people sometimes when they're writing stuff? You and I talked about that. We did a live production at the Grand Theater here in Cartersville once of uh, uh, what do we what do we do? Oh, we we did Shakespeare, but we would do a Q and A after it to talk to kids that would come to see mm -hmm. from the schools, and we would we were give, you were given the speech and talk to them about hey, I'll bet some of the things that you like and watched. I bet some of it's based on Shakespeare, and we started naming things or whatever. Science fiction movie Forbidden Planet is The Tempest, basically, set in space. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a lot more examples of that. Yeah, when we did the play Twelfth Night, that <clears throat> basically was remade into the Amanda Bynes film back in the 90s that my girls love called She's the Man. It was and a it's, soccer and movie. And it's Shakespeare. But it's really the story its way of in. a girl who has to dress <clears throat> like a boy to fit in because she wants yeah. to be on the soccer team and finds out her twin brother is actually trying to get away with something. And it's the whole right. mistaken identity and cross-dressing. I mean, you think that's <clears throat> new? <laughs> Ain't new. You, you think just when you think you come up with the cutting edge something or or things like that, like millennials, I'm like, you know, that's been done before, right? Yeah. It's okay. You can be creative and build on that. But it's been done before. That's you can why put your spin on it. That's why coming up with something totally original today is is incredible. It's hard <laughs> to come up with something totally original. So, well, a, an actor passed away. I think it, they they reported it yesterday. But you never know when actors and celebrities pass away because it may be two or three days before they'll just release it that day. Some of them are immediate. I guess they'll release them. But one did pass away yesterday that Alan and I are both a big fan of in a franchise that we're huge admirers of. Proof of what I've been telling you right from the beginning, Cornelius. All your fear-mongering about you-know-who never fooled us for a minute. We saw your lies for what they were, a smokescreen for your bid to seize control of the ministry. Naturally. No, Professor, he had nothing to do with it. It was me. Most noble of you, Harry, to shield me. But as has been pointed out, the parchment clearly says Dumbledore's army, not Potter's. I instructed Harry to form this organization, and I and I alone am responsible for its activities. Dispatch an owl to the Daily Prophet. If we hurry, we should still make the morning edition. Dawlish, Shacklebolt, you will escort Dumbledore to Azkaban to await trial for conspiracy. And sedition. Ah, I thought we might hit this little snag. You seem to be laboring under the delusion that I'm going to... What was the phrase? Come quietly. Well, I can tell you this. I have no intention of going to Azkaban. Enough of this. Take him! like him, Minister, but you can't deny Dumbledore's got style. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> no, that's cliff, awesome. Cliff there from, of Dumbledore from Harry Potter and uh, from Fox News, Michael Gambon, Harry Potter's Dumbledore, dead at 82. So 
that's just the one of the clips that I wanted to play because I do like that when he's like, uh, and we do, we watch it. We now when we watch the films, and I didn't read the books, but now when we watch the films, I'm noticing, oh, it seems like Dumbledore knows everything. He's got everything kind of planned out, mapped out. He, he, know, even when he gives Hermione the time turner where they can mm-hmm. go back in time, you know, and he sees them later when they come back, he's like, he's like, uh, she goes, we did it. We did it, dumb, uh, we did it, Professor. He's like, did what? Did what? <laughs> and then he's like, does he's little, bye. <laughs> bye. Yeah, from, this particular story is from Fox News, and we'll talk about it, too, as we go along. He was known for his role as Hogwarts headmaster Albus Dumbledore in six of the eight Harry Potter films. Uh, the legendary British actor's success career, successful career spanned over 60 years. He was cast as the much-loved Dumbledore after the death of his predecessor, Richard Harris, who died in 2002. While Harris played the character in the first two films in the Harry Potter franchise, Gambon played him in the remaining six, as we know. He once acknowledged not having read any of J.K. Rowling's best-selling books, arguing that it was safer to allow the script rather than be too influenced— sorry, to follow the script rather than be too influenced by the books, because they were, in fact, movies at that point. Uh, as they were having a movie continuity thing, which sometimes, as we know, differ from books sometimes. Now, that did not prevent him from embodying the spirit of Dumbledore, the powerful wizard who fought against the evil to protect his students. The Irish-English actor star had long been recognized as one of the United Kingdom's leading actors. His work spanned television, theater, and radio, and he starred in dozens of films from Gosford Park to The King's Speech and the popular movie Paddington. He was also known for his part in the Dennis Potter's musical The Singing Detective. Gambon won the BAFTA uh, for Best Actor for the role for that. He was also in the horror mystery streaming series, which I watched and my wife did, called Fortitude on Amazon Prime. Fantastic um, show if you can watch it on Amazon Prime. Gambon was knighted for his services to drama in 1998, and he was born in Ireland in 1940 on October the 9th. He was raised in London and originally trained trained as an engineer following in the steps of his father, his footsteps. He made his theater debut in a production of Othello in Dublin. Now, I'll tell you a little bit more about Michael Gambon. We'll, Alan, I'll share our thoughts, too, when we come back. From the mysterious streets of Diagon Alley to the magical halls of Hogwarts Castle, the world's most spellbinding journey is about to take its wildest turn yet. Prepare to face the Forbidden Forest and join Hagrid to encounter the rarest of magical creatures in the epic new addition to the Wizarding World of Harry Potter. Only at Universal Orlando Resort. Jenga, Jenga, Jenga. You take a block from the bottom and you put it on top. You take a block from the middle and you put it on top. That's how you build a tower, you just don't stop. You gotta build that tower putting blocks on top. And it teeters and it totters as you build it all up. It weebles and it wobbles, but you don't give up. You take a block from the bottom and you put it on top. You take a block from the middle and you put it on top. Till someone knocks it over and that's when you stop. But you start all over putting blocks on top. Jenga from Irwin. It's the Fonzie Motorcycle, and here's Fonzie. Each sold separately. Hey, With thumbs up action, switch the cycle on, and it takes off. Then it's automatic twist out action sends it back. Batteries for cycle not included. He's cool. Fonzie Motorcycle with twist out action. Fonzie figures sold separately.
Having fun every Saturday here from 10 a.m. till noon Eastern. It's BK on the air here on AM 1450 and 100.3 FM WBHF. Streaming from our website at WBHFradio.org. Check us out anytime that you want. If you don't have a signal, you can hear us that way if you want. uh, I was talking about Michael Gambon passing away from Harry Potter, Dumbledore from Harry Potter. And um, believe it or not, I had not seen him. I haven't seen him in much outside of Harry Potter in a TV show that I talked about called Fortitude, which airs, actually it was Amazon Prime that hand, that aired it here in the U.S. for us to see, but I think it was a, a Swedish-made television series that was on Sky Sky TV or something over there, and they still, I still can't find season three, so I don't know <laughs> what happened. Season three has been out over there. They, it just hasn't made it over here yet, so I'd like to see that to wrap that show up. Getting back to his, his history and stuff, Michael Gambon, in 1963, he got his first big break with a minor role in Hamlet, the National Theater Company's opening production under the directorship of the legendary Lawrence Olivier oh, wow. in 1963. Gambon received critical acclaim for his leading performance in John Dexter's Life of Galileo. He won the Lawrence Olivier Award three times and the Critics Circle Theater Awards twice. He additionally received four coveted British Academy of Film and Television Arts Awards for his work on television. He was decorated quite a bit before he ever showed up in America in Harry Potter. He is a uh, phenomenal wow, British it's, actor. It's incredible. Gambon was always an instantly recognizable by the deep and drawling tones of his distinctive voice. In 2015, he returned to the works of J.K. Rowling, taking a leading role in the TV adaptation of her book, The Casual Vacancy. And I'd never heard of that, so he's in that too. So huh. I guess they made an adaptation in 2015 of that. And he was in that. And you you told Wasn't a story. That the book? Wait a minute. I, now you're triggering a memory. I think she wrote that under a pseudonym because but everybody she wanted to wrote just, it. Yeah. Yeah, she just wanted to write only Harry Potter stuff. Yeah. She goes, well, I've got other ideas. I'm not just. Yeah. And so she wrote it under a pseudonym and someone did some investigative work and realized it was the same publishing company and they routed it and they're like, right. it's just J.K. routing under a pen name. So like, all right, fine. She just admitted it. But. Would, I guess what, you know, because Stephen King did that. Yeah. What, did, he went under Richard Bachman. Was it something that they did to like prove to themselves oh. that they could make it without writing on their own name, I guess? No, you know, ironically with Stephen King, because he would write so much and I was a huge King fan for a long time. His publishing house said, well, we don't want to dilute your brand. And he goes, well, I've got oh. so many book ideas. I want to put it out there. Yeah. And I'm like, well, one a year is more than enough. So he's like, well, then right. I'm going to write under a different name. But I was wondering if any of them, that would have been part of the reason if they wanted to say, listen, I'd like to make it as another, see if I could still write and people would notice and it wouldn't me. I don't know. Maybe that, that, would, that would be a proving ground for somebody doing it as well. Well, you told the story about, you heard that J.K. Rowling had seen Michael Gambon in a production of something yes. to me off the King air Lear. earlier. He, she, she saw him in King Lear. She saw him in King Lear, just was blown away by this performance. Just like what, you know, and that's a meaty role. That's like, oh yeah, King Lear is one of those characters that you just, it's so amazing. And she said, I saw this guy, Michael Gambon, and she's like, if you had told me then that I would have written a character that he would embody later, I would have laughed at you. Like, there's no way a guy this good, that with those kinds of characters, would right. ever stoop to playing one of my characters. And, the, and she must have been at least flattered and very very oh. happy when she heard that Richard Harris was going to play. He was a legendary actor, too. So I'm, I can only guess that she was very pleased with Richard mm-hmm. Harris as well being in her in her well if you read the first well. books the way Richard Harris played it with more of the thin whisper was how Dumbledore was described right that he didn't really have to raise his voice but when he did it was so off 
you'd be like, whoa. Right. He just and it did surprise voice. me when Richard Harris would, would, would yell, the, you know, the one yeah. silence. I'm right. like, whoa, okay. Right. Like, whoa. Okay, when now, he says silence. Yeah. But I, I, we talked <laughs> yeah, about it on my show, but we'll do it for yours as well. I so immediately took to Michael Gambon's version of Dumbledore when the adult, when the story started turning more adult and more sinister because as the kids are getting older and Voldemort's coming back into his own and take, trying to cut, come back yeah. into power, yeah, I'm kind of happy that they went with a little more of that deeper voice, that sense of calm but power underneath. Right. And when he did the scene you played, that just, you realize... Who, who did you think you were? You're going to come arrest Dumbledore? Come I mean, on. I know I'm nice when I need to be nice and everything, but I can be, you know, powerful if I, I need to be. I mean, there's a be, reason you know? he defeated the worst wizard at one point in time, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, come his on. Background. I don't want to talk about Voldemort, the, the, the wizard that came before him that's in the movies, the, the magical beast and where to find Fantastic beast, them. yeah. A fantastic beast. Um, but he, uh, yeah, he, he, ha- he took out the previous worst wizard right, of all yeah. time. Well, I know that everyone uh, mostly know him, at least in America, for Dumbledore and Harry Potter. But if you want to check out an interesting horror thriller mystery series called Fortitude, it's a, and I, if I describe it right, it's a show about a town called Fortitude that's set. It's either somewhere in in, in, North, in North Greenland, somewhere near the the North Pole or something. It's 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 in, it's in a remote, very cold area. Where people do what they do, I guess they do uh, ice fishing and stuff, and it's just one. Of the, and people live in those areas, believe it or not. But there was there was some sort of, of zombie problem with people dying, and it was it was the it, it was. Remember how they where they got the idea for alien from was there was a wasp that could lay its eggs in something, or there's an insect that's lay its eggs in something, and those eggs can actually take over the the, the insect almost like a zombie, where the eggs grow on it and feed on it and stuff, and it's just a horrific type of thing to to do. They took that. A step further with fortitude about them finding fo- a fossil of this of this prehistoric thing that was having an effect on this area and and what's the one of the best parts of horror that you can interject into a story to make it more scary kind of like The Shining is set it somewhere remote where you're isolated. I mean in The Shining there when they overlooked they were snow snowed in no one could get to them they could barely talk to people on the radio so if you're isolated it's easier for things to happen to you that you can't do anything about yeah. or get away from. And that's kind of what Fortitude was about. It's it was just a strange show that is hard to explain. That's what pulled me toward it. And Michael Gambon is in it. And he's fantastic in the show, along with Dennis Quaid and a lot of other people that went on to be in other shows. But uh, yeah, and I'll I'll miss him. I mean, I, I, it's almost like you you hope that oh, let's, I don't want to lose anybody. And we lost Richard Harris, so he didn't make it through the Harry Potter series. But you want to if you have an ensemble cast. Like, you know, Star Trek Ensemble. You have the Star Wars characters, the Harry Potter actors and characters. If they go on for a long time, like the Marvel films, you want at least, hopefully, everyone to stay intact through the till, till things end right. or whatever and, 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 and stay with it. Even creative people. I think that way about um, if someone has started scoring a franchise with their music, I hope they stick around to score the rest of it. You know, now Harry Potter, they changed composers, but they kept the John Williams theme, though. Right. Hedwig's theme was always in there throughout the entire series. Each composer would add his own stuff. But Michael Gambon, I, and I told you that it, uh, it got so used to Richard Harris, seeing Richard Harris as, uh, as uh, Dumbledore for the first two films. And he came in, Michael came in on the third film, which happens to be my favorite film of the, of the franchise. And I'm watching it. I'm like, oh, this new guy, I don't know, he's... He's not Richard Harris, which was great. They they did they didn't want to they didn't cast anybody like Richard Harris. He was completely different. So usually you want to replace the person with someone you familiar, you know, and stay that way. 
but he made it his own. And now, you know, after three movies, I could only think of Richard Harris as, as Dumbledore. Now, when I think of Dumbledore in my mind, I, uh, Michael Gambon's face comes up. What's all the crazy time is now. when I go back and reread the books, it's Michael Gambon that I hear. It's his voice. It's, I hear <laughs> it. Hear? I see it, it <laughs> yeah. visually. The, when well, I reread the books. Rest in peace, Michael Gambon. He was an actor that we enjoyed very much. Yes. And, uh, and if you like Harry Potter, you want to add to it, 770-386-1450 is our number. Call us up and uh, talk about that or anything else you want to talk about. I do have kind of another Harry Potter story that I was going to do last last week, but I forgot to do it, and I was talking to you off the air. But this is Harry Potter, so it ties in. This is from Jenna Bush at SlashFilm.com. It says, One of Harry Potter's directors turned down something uh, turned down a dream uh, movie to direct Harry Potter instead. And I, when this came out, I think last week or week before last, I had no idea that this was the case. Spider-Man is one of those characters that has inspired generations of mult- artists in multiple fields, as we know, from writers to actors to directors and more. And look at that. I'm going to have to take a break before I get into the story. But let's take a break because we got so much into Dumbledore there and Michael Gambon, and we should because we're a big fan of his. So there's a director that went for one movie instead of Harry Potter. He, went down, he, he turned down one film and directed another one instead. It was either Harry Potter he was going to direct and directed Spider-Man instead or directed uh, Harry Potter instead instead of a Spider-Man film. I'll tell you who it was and have the story. You're going to love this because I did when we come back. For some people, colas become a taste habit they find hard to break out of. <laughs> Yet if they would only pour a glassful of crisp, king-tasting 7-Up, they will find it's remarkably easy to enjoy a taste. Mmm, so light and refreshing. You know you love the taste of 7-Up. <laughs> Marvelous. So why let a taste habit keep you bottled up? Don't you feel 7-Up, 7-Up. <laughs> Why do you hold your root beer that way? Because that's how I hold a frosty mug of A&W. But that's not a frosty mug. <sighs> sure tastes like one. A&W root beer's got that frosty mug taste. A&W root beer's got that frosty mug taste. A&W root beer's got that frosty mug taste. Hey, we're back. It's BK on the air. It is gearing up. It's just, uh, at least when we're recording this show on the air right now, it's uh, almost October. It's the end of September. And uh, we do a Halloween show here at WBHF every Halloween night. I don't care what night it falls on, which is really fun when it falls on Saturday because it did a couple of years ago. We did it on Saturday night, which was fantastic. Weeknight, we don't care. We don't wait for the weekend to do it. We do the, the night of Halloween, 9 p.m. to midnight mm-hmm. Eastern. Every Halloween evening this month, this next month coming up will be no different. So stay tuned. We'll continue to let you know about that as time goes by. As time goes by. But I was talking about the uh, director that turned down one franchise to head another one, which is, has a Harry Potter Spider-Man theme to it from SlashFilm.com before we went to a break. Uh I'll just start it over here. Uh, Spider-Man. We, we know the Spider-Man. And this is the, this is the Tobey Maguire franchise, by the way. Spider-Man is one of those characters that has inspired generations of artists in multiple fields, from writers and actors to directors and more. Peter Parker and several of his Spider-Man counterparts has had, has had to deal with just being a kid while also keeping his superhero identity secret 
from his friends and family. Now, Stan, and I talked I talked about this before. Stan Lee in, invented Spider-Man because he kind of got sick of the superheroes that were coming out of the time saying, oh, they, these superheroes are superheroes, but they're alter egos. They have no problems when they're alter egos. Clark Kent's a reporter. He has a posh life, you know, and they all have these great lives as mm-hmm. adults as their alter ego. Well, I'm going to I'm going to make a hero out of a kid who has to struggle even when he gets older to pay his own rent, to keep a job, but on top of all of that, he still has the responsibility of being a superhero and helping save people, which sometimes interferes with his life getting paid and going to oh, school and going like to college. Real life. Yeah, exactly. And that's what he did with Spider-Man. Uh, Spider-Man, he's a little tortured, tries to do the right thing, serves as a, a, a figure for many a, an inspirational figure for many of us. That's Spider-Man from a 2023 vantage point we've seen a whole lot of films about the web slinger both animated and live action but before 2002's spider-man directed by sam raimi that wasn't the case there were several directors up for the job before raimi got it and one of them was chris columbus you know the guy that directed home alone the babysitter's club mrs doubtfire and of course the first two harry potter films Now, as a contender for the Spider-Man's director's chair, Columbus made a lot of sense. The filmmaker has a way with directing kids, and Harry Potter and Peter Parker aren't really that different. They're both young people with unexpected superpowers or circumstances trying to fit in. Both of them have people around them who get hurt because of this, and both lose parental figures. There's there's the the Mm -hmm. familiarity between the two uh, characters. It would have been a perfect fit, whichever project Columbus chose. Now, uh, no shade to Sam Raimi's Spider-Man here because it's wonderful. Columbus, however, had to turn down the opportunity to direct Spider-Man despite having a lifelong love for Spidey. He spoke about the experience in a 2021 interview with ScreenRant.com to celebrate the 20th anniversary of the Harry Potter franchise. Now, Columbus has been a fan of the comic book character since he was a kid, like most of us are and were. And thank goodness Sam Raimi was, too. After confirming that he did, in fact, turn down directing duties on Spider-Man, he joked, quote, It is weird because, you know, I'm I'm of the firm belief that every movie ever made would be better with Spider-Man in it. (laughs) There's no question. So, I mean... How good would The Godfather be if Spider-Man showed up, unquote? Columbus did explain why he had to turn down his dream job. Quote, but honestly, the reason I got into the film business, the reason I got into movies as a kid was because of Marvel Comics, because that's what I wanted to do. And Spider-Man was my hero as a kid. I really probably heard the day before I got the Spider-Man offer that I got Harry Potter. And whoever it was was like, is he crazy? How could he pass up Spider-Man? And part of me felt that way because it's probably something I was waiting for my entire life to do. But I'm glad I decided to go with Potter. I'm pretty happy about that. So there you go. Chris Columbus came to a crossroads. Christopher Columbus did Discovering America, too. But this is Chris Columbus. Right. He came to a crossroads in his career and had to decide between two characters. One that hadn't really been established in as much yet. I mean, successful book series yes harry potter but the other one was spider-man and i agree with uh, who wrote the article uh he would have been very suited to direct spider-man as well and probably would have done a good job too and i'm going to go on the flip side and say if Raimi had done the first harry potter film i think it would have been successful too because the the, the story the books were successful I think with two, you might have had a little different take on it with another director, but I think they still would have succeeded because I, I hate these Monday morning quarterbacks that go, oh, if so-and-so had directed the film, it never would have went anywhere. Oh, if Peter Cushing had played Obi-Wan Kenobi and Alec Guinness had played uh, 
uh, Grand Moff Tarkin, Star Wars would have been ruined. No, you would have just known them to play the characters. I think the right. movie still would have gone on because they were two great actors. So there would definitely be different, a little different movies if they had flip-flopped I do on think those. if they had flip-flopped, first of all, I think Chris... Columbus was better with younger, younger actors because Tobey Maguire right. wasn't exactly a kid. Pete Peter's like a teen, a late teen. Well, yeah. and, and Tobey Maguire was playing young. He right. was a much oh, older. Of course, actor. yeah, of course he was. Whereas they had actual like twelve-year-olds <laughs> playing the twelve-year-olds in the movie. Yeah, and um, Harry Potter. If if Sam Raimi directed Harry Potter, I think it would have been dark from the beginning. Like more, it would have been a little darker. Yeah, more dark than it already was. <laughs> True. Yeah, and Could've I been. think it would have been probably even more lighthearted. With the Spider-Man, had Chris Columbus done it, very and true. And I think when you look at it, I think it, they fell in the right place. They did. Oh, you needed somebody to handle Harry Potter with maybe a lighter hand, right? And you needed Spider-Man to be pushed a little bit heavier to be more realistic, right? Which is why I think they were so successful. Oh yeah, it worked out. I'm glad. Don't get me wrong. I'm glad at how it worked out. Mm-hmm. I just I just like to play. Oh, I mean, what if they directed each one? I agree with one? you. Both of them would have yeah. still done it, but, but they wouldn't have been the same. It would have been different movies. Yeah, yeah it really would have. <laughs> Now, not unrecognizable from the books. I don't think they would have changed them so much because they both respected the source material. They both liked what they were doing. Yeah. And I think it's great that Chris Columbus loved Spider-Man and grew up reading Spider-Man, and Sam Raimi did too. And I'm like, there's two directors that loved that franchise you and that know character. You know what's crazy? Chris Columbus must lead some kind of a charmed life because when you told me that— because you set the premise, and I didn't know what you were talking about, but I said the first thought that came to mind was when Chris Columbus was offered the opportunity to to direct a John Hughes script. John Hughes, a buddy of his, said, I, I think you'd be great for this. We're going to do a Christmas vacation. Chris Columbus goes, this is great. I get to do a, lamp- a National Lampoon. We get to do a funny movie. It's around Christmas. Right. He said, a week into it, I can't deal with Chevy Chase. Right. He comes back to John. He goes, I hate to do this. <laughs> yeah. You need to find someone else. Is there anything, anything else? And he's like, well, I'm tinkering with this idea about this kid who got left home at, at Christmas as well. Got left home alone. Right. Well, I guess, uh, I guess, uh, who directed Vacation? That was, um, was that Harold Ramis? I don't or know. Ivan Reitman. It was one of those two guys. Whoever did direct vacation could deal with Chevy Chase, I guess, I guess and went so. ahead and did it. So, yeah. But once again, I don't know that Home Alone would have been the charming blockbuster it was if it right. weren't for somebody like a Chris. Like Spielberg could have done it because he's sure. just dealing with kids. Yeah. I, I always said, I think Chris Columbus is like the junior Spielberg. He just knows how to get performances out of kids. We didn't get to do this story last week, and I was telling you about it in the studio. And I said, and when I presented it to you, I didn't tell you who the director was and what he was going to do. And again, you did. You're right. Out of the blue, you said, well, you know, Chris Columbus, uh, blah, 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 said that he, and you just told the whole story to me that you did right then. And I just went ahead and broke it. I'm like, that's who it is. <laughs> it's Chris, Chris, Chris Columbus that's, that had made the choice between Spider-Man and Harry Potter. I said, just, for, just through the process of osmosis or something, you guessed who it was without even me even telling you who it was. And that was just so weird. We have those sometimes. Yeah. Those are called little temporary mind melds. Every now and then that it makes you look like we're smart. That we <laughs> Every now and or, then. Well, I don't know. At least thinking like the other, which might not be good. Wait a minute. Yeah, I didn't <laughs> think of it that way. Hold let's on. go down that path and Whoa. not take care of that. So, But uh, I do have the uh, – uh, don't forget, we're, we're, we didn't forget to flash the audience. We just had a lot of content today, and I pushed it back a little well, bit. I will flash the audience. After the after the top of the hour, we'll do the flash the audience, and then we'll push the On This Day in History down a little bit more because we got a lot to talk about today. There's something else I want to talk about today is legendary actor – and performer and voiceover artist William Conrad. Does the name ring a bell? I know you've heard of him. Cannon. He played the the portly Cannon on CBS Quinn Martin production TV series Detective Cannon. But 
he's he's done so much more. And if you're familiar with Hollywood and you like the show and you like looking at things and the careers of people, you know that he did a whole lot more than that before Canon in the 70s. And he did a lot more even did after that up into the 80s. Have a show, Jake and the Fat Man. Jake and the Fat Man, he certainly did in the 80s. Well, it was his birthday this week, and it didn't fall on today, but it was last week. And I want to get into, into his career and what he did and some facts that you may or may not know about him. And he did the voice of, he did the voice of a character on television, which we talked about uh Pat McCormick talked about Fat Albert and the Cosby Kids, which is a Filmation-produced uh, television show on Saturday mornings. Another one, another Filmation cartoon that he provided the voice of on, and I'll, I'll tell you about this. I won't tell you what it was, but I'll tell you about it when we get to the segment later. That He did the voice for this animated legendary character. He did the voice of this character, and his, his either it was, a, it was a decision between him and his manager to say, don't put your name on the voice. Use a pseudonym, and he did. For the fact that he didn't, he, I think his manager or someone said, well, you don't want to be associated with cartoons and stuff. I mean, your career is going in another direction. So don't That's just do your. And I'm like, but I'm like, I don't know why they would tell him that because William Conrad worked in radio back in the 50s. So I'm like, maybe that was because radio was much more respected back then. It was it was the it was the it was the medium for drama back in the day before television. You only had radio to listen to for drama, mm-hmm. comedy and everything. So I don't know why they made that decision. And you may or may not be surprised when I uh, when I get to the to the facts about William Conrad and tell you what that cartoon was that he did the. Uh, the I'd the, be uh, curious to of. see what it is if I know who it is. I don't have enough time to get into uh, deeply into anything, but I've got. To, I'll tell you what's coming up. Uh, DC Comics announced a 35th anniversary concert tour for a uh, superhero movie that has a certain uh, sound of music to it that we talked about earlier. That they will have a tour playing the music from this film and touring, and it will come to Atlanta and maybe a city near you. I have the schedule for that coming up. And today is the anniversary of the Flintstones, the the broadcast premiere of the Flintstones. And I'll have a couple of a uh, couple of stories about the Flintstones, one of uh, facts and figures, how it came into being, and a story about Alan Reed. Ever wonder how he came up with Yabba Dabba Doo? I'm going to tell you how he came up with that saying. Okay. I'm like, where did that come from? Things come from somewhere all the time. Uh, along with William, t- along with talking about William Isn't Conrad, it, it's not from a lot of Blue Eyes. Dooby Dooby Doo. No, it's not. You believe it or not, it's not. Doobie, doobie, it has doobie. nothing to do with that. So, yabba dabba doo. <laughs> Are you gonna sing? No. Yeah. You're right. You weren't singing. <laughs> I don't know what that <laughs> That's was. That's for sure. But it is. It's beginning on the air. We're having a fun time here at WBHF every Saturday. And uh, you can find me online, by the way, on Twitter, Instagram, well, sorry, X, Instagram, and Facebook. I've got uh, presence on all three of those social media platforms. And we'll be back after this. We'll return after these messages. Windex has ammonia D, so nothing shines like it. Makes all kinds of shiny surfaces sparkle like glass without streaking. Spray sunshine, it makes you feel fine when you put on a Windex shine. If only you could hear what people think. Like to be her pen pal. Nice. Too bad he's scratching his head. Could be dandruff sure get a lot of junk mail. That little itch could be showing people you have dandruff. But Head & Shoulders handles that itch, so all it shows is hair that's soft and shiny clean. Well, 3A? Oh, 3B. <laughs> Try Head & Shoulders shampoo and show off your hair, not the itch of dandruff, in regular and conditioning formulas. 
Stand by to receive our transmission. Hey, we're back. It's BK on the air. Back for the last half of the show. Boy, I wish it were longer, but it's not. Maybe I can make it uh, work on that for the future. Maybe I can get a, a chance to go for about three or four hours every day. That would be nice. But uh, I don't know. I like doing what at least I, I, I get, like getting what I can get. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. We didn't do On This Day in History, so I would like to get to it right now. Today is September the 30th. Let's do a little On This Day in History, 1936. Let's go back to 1936, a year before my dad was born. Pinewood Studios opens in Buckinghamshire, England on this day in 1936. How funny, because that is uh, four years before the birth of Michael Gambon. Yeah, and how how <laughs> how legendary is that studio, Pinewood, okay. went on to be? I mean, even had a presence here for a little while, uh, just south of Atlanta here in Georgia, but uh, they they chunked out, like, the Bond films for a while. They did, uh, and then they eventually made, I think, the, the 007 stage. They built their own stage. But Pinewood, I think Pinewood was, was used for uh, some no, of the Star Wars Star films. Star Wars, yeah. And, uh, I mean, there's just so much... Crawl some of these big sci-fi fantasy films. You needed something big for your movie. You went to Pinewood Studios in England was the was the time that you did it. But now you've got a lot of choices, as Archie Bunker would say. You got a lot of choices now when it comes to filming your movie. You can come here to Georgia and film your movie because we have uh, we have movie studios not just one. We have three or four. You yeah, know, in the, just in the Atlanta metro area in North Georgia that you can film. But um, happy birthday to Pinewood Studios. Nineteen fifty on this day in history, September the thirtieth. Radio's Grand Ole Opry is broadcast for the first time. We always like mentioning radio stuff on here because we are a radio station. And uh, there was a television series that premiered on this day in history. And, and people, we did a list not too long ago, or there was a list done on Twitter, on X, not too long ago, about what was your favorite top five Westerns TV series of all times. And growing up, I wasn't that big of a Western fan. I did watch a couple of them with my dad. But my favorite Western celebrates its premiere on ABC TV today in history. Rifleman starring Chuck Connors. Chuck Connors. I love I think if I had to pick my favorite Western of all time, Chuck Connors as the Rifleman is my favorite. Gunsmoke probably my second favorite Western. Maybe first if they battle for number one position. But uh, Rifleman, interesting show. Only thirty minutes long back in the day, not an hour. Most Westerns were an hour after that. But the people who wrote The Rifleman knew how to put everything in a succinct story with a beginning, a middle, and an end in 30 minutes' time, and it was a drama. Now, would mine count The Wild Wild West? I think yours would count as a Western or a sci-fi series. Because they say it was a science fiction Western. I loved The Wild Wild (laughs) West. And you want to hear something funny? I never watched it. I have never seen the television. So I may have seen one or two episodes sporadically here and there, and I've I've been told I'd love it, but I've just never had taken the time to sit down and watch it. Oh, my gosh, that was so much fun to watch. I was familiar with him from uh, Bob. Black Sheep, Bob, yeah, Robert, Robert Conrad, Conrad, yeah, different Conrad. Uh, and on in 1960, another, we got two anniversaries today, and actually we can celebrate, <laughs> we can celebrate this show's anniversary for letting it sing "Happy Anniversary" to itself. Oh, happy anniversary, happy anniversary, happy anniversary, happy anniversary. Fred, you remembered. How could I ever forget the happiest day of my life? 
That's right. Happy anniversary to the Flintstones as they sing happy anniversary there on the episode on ABC 1960 is when the Flintstone premieres from Hanna-Barbera. Another premiere, 1965, on ITV in England, a show which is in syndication over here in America. It did finally make it over here, and I used to watch it in the morning before I went to school. The Thunderbirds premiered on this day in 1965 on ITV, the weird puppet show with the little puppets being a part of an international rescue with their little ships where they would rescue people from danger and stuff. If we never had that, we wouldn't have gotten Team America. Never would have gotten. You're exactly right. And and Jerry Anderson produced a lot of shows like that with puppets. Thunderbird, Stingray, uh, Joe 90, uh, so many shows. Captain Scarlet came out. They just lo- He loved playing with the puppets. And as a kid, I liked them because they were basically, oh, look, my action figures are alive. This is what mm-hmm. they would look like if they were going on adventures. And they didn't, they didn't bother to hide the strings or anything because they couldn't but you and my me and my mind knew that they were alive Some and they were the doing miniature those things. work was awesome all the little ships and stuff and the buildings that they mm-hmm. were doing the vehicles all miniature and it was fantastic that guy Derek Meddings we talked about him last week going on to do the specter of James Bond a lot of the earlier James 70s James Bond films and uh, the TV series UFO he was a miniature uh, he was a miniature genius. I don't mean he was small. <laughs> I meant he was a genius, genius in miniatures. With miniatures. Yeah. 1968 on this day in history, September the 30th, the first Boeing 747 jumbo jet rolls out on this day in 68. You know, I've never ridden on a 747. I've never been in that They're big one. They're huge. I've never been on that jet. I've been in a 767. I've been in a 7, what was the other one? 737. That was 737. Yeah, with Delta, but I've never been. On a, uh, on a 747, and they're a big, they're still a big jet. In 1983, a movie was released on this his day in history 40 years ago, and it was directed by a special effects artist named Douglas Trumbull, who usually did special effects for films, but he turned director with this movie. Natalie Wood's last movie, Brainstorm, was released on this day in history. It's 40 years old. She died, Natalie Wood, before the filming of the movie was fully completed. So the ending had to be recre- uh, had to be created from scenes shot earlier. And her sister, Lana Wood, filled in for Natalie in some shots and efforts to help finish the film. Douglas Trumbull shot the... And get this, you remember Brainstorm, mm-hmm. right? I don't remember a director ever doing this before or doing it after. He shot the virtual reality scenes in the film because, as you know, if you've seen the film, when they put on the brainstorm device, you could. It was basically uh, it was virtual reality back in the '83, which when it was only talked about back then, and you could experience things. Well, when he when you went into someone's mind, seeing what they saw in that movie, he he shot the virtual reality sequences in 24 pr- frames per second, Super Panavision at uh, Super Panavision 70 with an aspect ratio of two to two to one. The rest of the film was shot in conventional 35 millimeter with an aspect ratio of two, 1 to 7 to 1. Mm-hmm. So that meant the whole screen changed yep. when when they went into the virtual reality scenes in the theater. The only way you can tell it in watching it on video or on, on streaming is in the virtual reality scenes, it, it changes to super widescreen. 
is what it does. And it switches back to a little filling up a little more of the top part of your TV screen when you go back to regular. Jerry Springer's trashy talk show debuts on the stand history in 1991. And another movie premiere in 1994. My favorite, my favorite Tim Burton film premiered on this day in 1994. Ed Wood mm. premieres on this day in 94. We'll have birthdays and what national day it is when we come back. It's BK on the air. Brainstorm is a landmark motion picture, says Us Magazine. Its fireworks explode across the screen, adds the New York Times. And Entertainment Tonight says, don't miss this dazzling sight and sound experience. A new dimension in motion picture entertainment. Rated PG. Now playing at a theater near you, check newspaper for listing. Taking pills is dangerous if you don't know what you're doing. Dangerous? The wrong pill or too many pills can make you sick. Remember, kids shouldn't take any medicine unless it's given to them by a doctor or their parents. I remember Superman. When it comes to shows about movies and comic books, heroes and crazy news, I tune into BK on the air from 10 to noon Saturdays. This bowl he gave me is no good. It's full of holes. <laughs> full of holes? Those holes are supposed to be in it. You put your fingers in them, you n- Red You dropped that ball on my foot, you n- Fred, I won't have you calling me names. Oh, uh, I didn't mean anything, Wilma. It's just that when a guy's out with his buddy, he might call him names in fun. That's the buddy system. Yeah. <laughs> Some of the I used to call Barney. Okay, I get the idea. You were going to teach me to bowl. Okay, that's... Bad. Don't get mad. So a little uh, not safe for air Flintstones there, since it is the Flintstones anniversary. It's amazing that they took a show and actually put little bleeps in it where they're actually not uh, again not saying anything bad at all, but just putting the beeps in over the regular words they said. Makes how much think. it's how much your mind works, how the mind works. That's what this whole show's about: how the mind can work. Apparently, we all have a very dirty mind, or not work, or <laughs> one or the other. How much how much the mind cannot be how much the mind can be inactive, and still be uh, productive one way or the other. Yeah, we're celebrating the Flintstones anniversary today. Thought I'd sneak that in there. Seven seven zero three eight six fourteen fifty is our number. Someone's on the line right now, standing by. It's BK on the air. Hello. Yeah, I have a bone to pick with both of y'all. Oh, it's Eric. Hey, how you doing? Wonderfully happy, Eric. I didn't say I never seen it. I said I've only seen one or two sporadic episodes of it, but not a lot. Give, no. Give it back. Give it back. Give what back? Give your geek card back. You don't deserve it. <laughs> I know. I'll admit it. I should have seen that show. I, I I don't watch Lost in Space either. There's some shows I didn't didn't get to watch, and I need to see Wild Wild West. A lot of people have told me I need to watch it, but I have not seen it. I'm sorry. I apologize. Don't let the movie in, influence you. Oh, the movie's terrible. Yes. Uh, best thing about the movie is Kenneth Branagh. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's terrible. It was terrible. It's flop too. Yeah, but we don't, uh, we yeah. Don't, I don't talk about that. But I will. I will get around to watching the Wild Wild West one day. I really need to see it. Alan. Yes. Yes, sir. Uh, uh, you don't know who William Carter is. Uh, 
gone ready to divorce for? Well, now I'm now. Okay. Well, hold on. Let me stop you right there. Now I haven't done the story on on I'm, William Conrad yet, so I'm don't don't spoil it. But, uh, okay, all right. You, uh, Alan, mm-hmm. you need to go reexamine your life. Wow, we're both in Wait trouble today. I'm so sorry. We're so here's the trouble. thing, Eric. Um, <laughs> when I was a kid, I never thought about the people who did voiceover work. But, okay, what what years? But uh, Barry has told this story. In some way, shape, or form for years. Okay. And you've been on the show for how long? Well, do you really think I pay attention? Well, yeah, we're just, we're I just having fun. Back, but still. You know, that's why the show is still fresh to me, because it's like it's the first time I've ever heard it. That's nice. I, that's a good feeling. I like that. That makes me happy. <laughs> I don't, Eric, I will tell you, I was on, uh, we did a special show with Pat McCormack and BK about voiceovers and voiceover actors, some of the be- best people. And I had to go do some research because I literally, as a kid, I never associated that one person could do multiple voices. So I never paid attention to who did the characters. Yeah. And it was, yeah, that's true. Yeah. You find this out, when you find this out again. <laughs> it was, and it was story again. And it and it was and it was fun for me growing up because I delved into that and I don't know why I got to where I would read credits at the end of shows because I was bored I guess and didn't have much else to do anyway. No, I mean, and I watched all those things. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we all do things as we get older. Well, yes. Plus, for, forget old. things is one of them. Is as many of them. But thanks for calling in and telling me and set me straight about the Wild, Wild West. I will watch it eventually. Uh-huh. I promise. Hey, I'll watch Eric, it. before I'll watch I let it. you go, how's Bob Newhart? Yeah. Bob Hope. Bob Newhart. Or was it Bob Newhart? Was it one Bob of Bob's? Newhart. Okay. Bob How's Bob Newhart? Newhart? <laughs> is, he, is he still alive? <laughs> Eric? No. Eric? <laughs> hey, listen, you're going you're gonna to th- you throw shade. You better be ready to get we some back. stuff. It's okay. Hey, I'll talk to you later. I'll go Sorry, watch Wild West. He's getting older, too. I promise. Bye. <laughs> Bye. That's true. So. Love you, man. But I do need to watch that show. I promise. I, I've heard. My, even my dad. I actually dad told would me. love to go back and stream it. All. My it, dad. I loved it. every single episode. Loved how they put it together. Loved the cutscenes. Loved how I, when they would go to the commercial break, how it would fill in and see this like mosaic picture frame. I, everything about that show, it was like James Bond set in the in the wild, wild west. Right, and that's what my dad told me. He goes, "Of all people uh, to want, watch a show, you haven't seen Wild Wild West. You need to see that." So I, I'll I'll promise I need to see it. Birthdays today. Today is September the 30th. Birthdays. Johnny Mathis, American pop vocalist. It's his birthday today. You remember Johnny Mathis? Yes. Chances are you wear a silly ring. He's got got one of those voices for the Christmas album. His his legendary. He does. Today is Jack Wilde's birthday, British actor. He was an Oliver, H.R. Puffin stuff. He was that child actor back in the day growing up. He died in 2006, though. And today's Johnny Bravo's birthday today. Johnny Bravo, Barry Williams from the Brady Bunch, Mm. American actor. Not not the cartoon Johnny Bravo, but Barry started that character on the Brady Bunch or started the name of that, that name on the Brady Bunch as his alter ego singer. Today is actor Eric Stoltz's birthday today. The Fly 2, Anaconda, Pulp Fiction, Mask with Cher, which was a fantastic movie that he had to act actually through the makeup and did a fantastic job doing it, which is a, it's a um, fantastic movie. And actually, movie. you can see pieces of him in Back to the Future. I was just about to get to that. Oh, actually, you can see pieces you. of him in Back to the Future, especially the back of his head, mm-hmm. standing in every now and then because he was originally cast as Marty McFly. But for some reason, his comedic timing just wasn't doing it for Robert Zemeckis. And there was nothing wrong. They didn't fight or anything. They just decided to change 
if it's not actors. working, it's not working. Yeah, and he's and he he's he's already proved himself as a fantastic actor. Both of them. It just sometimes I you think don't Michael get the right J. Thing. Fox is happy he got the role. I think he made a few T- more dollars. Today in his is career. also Monica Bellucci's birthday. Today, Italian actress. Not, from not Bram, a bad looking lady. Bram Stoker's Dracula, Spectre, James Bond, and she's also been cast in Beetlejuice too. I think his Beetlejuice. Well, don't forget, is she wife. was also in uh, the Passion of the Christ. Passion of the Christ. That's right. She's for her age, and I don't mean anything by saying for her age because she's in her fifties. She's still Matrix a beautiful too. woman. Matrix too. That's right. The one that I didn't like that much. Matrix too. She is a gorgeous. Gorgeous human being. She is very, very gorgeous. I think she has a painting of herself in the attic somewhere. <laughs> Hope they don't discover it. 770-386-1450. You can call just like just like uh, Eric did. Someone else is calling now. Hey, it's BK on there. Hello. What's happening? Just sitting here messing around on the radio. All right, you're talking about Wawa West. Don't be so quick to plug them because he's on opposite you on MeTV Saturday at 10 a.m. Oh, I already know that people are watching them instead of listening to me. You're talking about Pinewood Studios and This Day in History? Yes. And um, Superman the movie was was filmed there, as was Space 1999, right before Superman the movie. And what hurts my heart is to know that the Command Center set became the Daily Planet set, which is a dated set. Yes. Didn't the... uh didn't the uh, the ball the ballroom in The Shining become the Dagobah set for Empire Strikes Back as well? I think that was part of the Pinewood Studio. Yeah, right. That's and a cool fact. Caught fire at one point, and uh, they had to put it out. But yeah, that that just shows you how. Because when you watch The Shining and you see him walk into the ballroom, it's massive. It's huge. It has a not. You don't usually have to build a ceiling and stuff. Maybe for for for, for TV pro, uh, movie productions and show a ceiling, but the ballroom. I think it's got a ceiling in The Shining. It's such a huge room that you have to have a big soundstage to to build stuff like that. And the Dagobah set was cavernous, and Absolutely. did have a couple of caves. <laughs> By the way, cavernous. It's got caves. But yes, that's right. I was in North Georgia as well this last week. We were up at uh, Lake uh, Lake Notley in Blairsville. And um, another cool movie tie-in for North Georgia is the movie Grizzly from 1976 was filmed in North Georgia. Love it. Christopher George. Yeah, the, yeah. the, the bear version of Jaws. <laughs> Jaws that's on right. land. Clayton, Georgia. Hey, real quick, uh, trivia question. You're really quick and good, so you'll probably know this. What set from Space 1999 made it into the Superman the movie shoot in the Superman 2 portion, which Donner shot at the same time as Superman the movie? I don't know what set made it in there, but I know a lot of the sound effects in Moonraker and some of the things made it into Moonraker from uh, Space 1999, but yeah. Well, the answer is the moon. The moon. The moon attacked the NASA (laughs) astronauts. Right. Well, I know they didn't use the moon probably for it for Superman 4 because it looked horrible. Or they would have used that one, too, so... Yeah, well, that's cool. Yeah. Thanks, Chance. I appreciate it. Yeah, a lot of things are re- re- reused. When I watch them on the on the on the mo- on the space station in Moonraker, I'm like, oh, those little buttons back there and those little things they're using are all from Space 1999, and even some of the sound effects. So, you know, even watching things too long, when you notice things like that, and I <laughs> did, and I I was told many times by my parents, you're watching things over and over way too many times. You need to concentrate more on your schoolwork. I'm like, why, Mom? I want a career in radio. Uh, let's get let's get back to what national day it is today. Today is look at this. Today is International Podcast Day. Is today we know of a few podcasts, don't we? Know we know of a few. You can listen to this show. I turn it into a podcast as soon as I. Well, you know I'm a week or two behind, but you can still listen to the podcast of BK on there on YouTube, Spotify, and SoundCloud if mm-hmm. you want to get out there and listen to it. 
Uh, and today is National Chewing Gum Day today. So go out and get your pack and chew some chewing gums. I don't chew gum as, gum as much anymore yeah, now I as an either. adult. I used to, but every now and then I might. But I'm like, yeah, I'm not, not that big into it. But I used to be, the two that I used to chew all the time and look forward to as a kid, no, it wasn't the ones with the cards, the tops cards. That wasn't gum. I don't know what that was. It was like a piece of cardboard painting painted pink because it would pretty much, oh, chewing gum from collector cards. I chewed it about five, and it's gone. Mm-hmm. The taste is gone. Bubble, bubble yum, and bubblelicious were my two bubble gums of choice. I, I love did those like those gums. a lot. I also did a lot of big league chew. Big league chew. I loved big red too because big red was cinnamon. When I got infused. older and I was interested in going on maybe uh, excursions with opposite sex, big red was excursions. always excursions. Yes, excursions. Yes, that was a really good one. Dentine as well was cinnamon. cinnamon. Yeah, I uh, like the cinnamon. big red better. Uh, big red was a bigger piece. So yeah, today is National Ghost Hunting. Day, if you're nice. into that sort of thing. And we talked about the Thunderbirds being it's their premiere of the Thunderbirds, Jerry Anderson. It's Thunderbirds Day. Thunderbirds are go. Scared my sister to death when I watch those in the morning. It's BK on the air. Five, four, three, two, one. Kellogg Sugar Smacks are go. Plenty of Thunderbirds energy fast when you need it. The Thunderbirds team all have sugar smacks for breakfast. You'll love these honey sweet puffs of wheat. Don't be left behind. Kellogg's sugar smacks are go. F-A-B. Stand by for action. Anything can happen in the next half hour. You're listening to BK on the Air. This is Mrs. BK. And I'm not listening now because... Well, I sleep in every Saturday morning, but I'll catch him later on the BK Escape Pod podcast. Now, back to that man of mine, BK on the air. Thank you, baby. Yeah, we had a great time on our vacation this week. She really needed done widening, and I'm glad that she did. Being a school teacher, she was pulling her hair out. Now she's got a little bit of hair left. But that's fine. For me, TV, I have this story. The Flintstones, since we are celebrating their anniversary of the Flintstones, they say the Flintstones was a Jurassic-sized risk, the article says. In our current geologic period, the Flintstones is rightly upheld as one of the most important animated series of all time. I'll go along with that. Its place in history has long been cemented. After all, it was the first animated series to be nominated for the Primetime Emmy Award for Outstanding Comedy Series. The show spun off an additional seven animated programs two live action feature films and featured as a theme land in the warner uh, in the warner brothers park in abu dhabi clearly the flintstones had a wide-ranging influence that is still felt today but that status as a cartoon institution hasn't been forever the case for the flintstones it's hard to believe that as as it may be the show wasn't always a sure thing there was a time when the flintstones seemed like a massive gamble now, no, we don't mean the slot machines in Viva Rock <laughs> Vegas. It might seem like ancient history, but that modern Stone Age family was a real risk for Hanna-Barbera in the not-too-distant past. By 1960, the team of William Hanna and Joseph Barbera were already wildly successful. The madcap adventures of their Tom and Jerry cartoons earned the pair a total of seven Academy Awards in the decade between 1943 and 53. Think about that. Their Tom and Jerry cartoons uh, won them Academy Awards. Believe it or not, because they were shown in the theater. 
When producer Fred Quimby retired as head of MGM Animation Studios, Hannah, Bar- Hannah and Barbera fit the opening naturally until the studio was closed in, the, in mid-1957. Now, undeterred, the duo founded HB Enterprises, continuing their string of successful uh, successes with Rough and Ready and the Huckleberry Hound Show. <laughs> However, it wasn't until HB Enterprises reincorporated as Hanna-Barbera Productions that the team would see its biggest wins to date. In 1960, Joe Barbera flew to New York to pitch a half-hour comedy family sitcom. Typically, when a studio readies a new show for a network sale, the studio produces a first episode or, you know, a pilot. Because of the inherent cost of producing such a pilot and the potential for that pilot to flop... Barbera was instead armed with only a few sketches and the uncanny ability to act out the traits and the personality of the show's characters. That show became the Flintstones, but only after the careful consideration of network executives at ABC Television. A 1960 article in The State describes the decision as involving many people and organizations, not only the network, but the sponsors and their advertising agencies for whom a move means a gamble of hundreds of thousands of dollars. Well, that's 1960 money. That would be hundreds of millions of dollars now, I guess, or millions. ABC took a risk and aired the program in an uh, evening in the evening time. People it's the forget prime time yeah, cartoon. People forget the Flintstones were on at night. Simpsons wasn't the first one. But what about the show? What about it made it ready for prime time though? The key was careful counterbalancing of cost and quality. Barbera explained it this way, quote, you have to know when to cut and when not to cut. It's that simple. Some people think they can save money and still come up with something good by taking cutouts and moving them around like a fixed background. Limited animation like that is a mistake, he says. So, despite the risk, did Hanna-Barbera produce a show that stood the test of time? Yes, they yabba-dabba did. That's what it says. And I'll tell you about yabba-dabba-do here in just a minute. So, remember, you can watch the Flintstones on MeTV. That's Sundays at 10 a.m. on uh, MeTV is where you can see it. And I have one more story here to to, uh, tie in with that because it's the Flintstones. Uh, Yabba-dabba-do. How did how did actor Alan Reed come up with that saying yabba dabba do? You don't even have to watch the Flintstones or be a fan. You say that to somebody, they usually know what that's from. Now, just as iconic as the name or an outfit or a character's catchphrase is as iconic as in its own right as any of those things. If the, if a character says a catchphrase, you can uh, you can get it. What was what was Bart's big one? Uh, oh, don't cowabunga, have a cow man. dude. Yeah, don't have a cow, man. Don't have a cow. Eat my shorts. Yeah, eat my shorts. It's That's what a good one. it's what sticks in a viewer's mind after the television series or after the show's even turned off or even after the show's left the airwaves. Such is the case for Fred Flintstone and his famous yabba dabba do. If you yell that into a crowded supermarket, sure they'll probably be a little frightened of you, but they'll also definitely know that you're quoting Fred Flintstone. Well, it might surprise you to know that that famous catchphrase was actually an improvisational choice by none other than the actor providing his voice, Alan Reed. In an interview with Tinseltown Talks for the Fayette Tribune, Reed, Alan Reed's son, Alan Reed Jr., recounted the story. He said, "It's called." Uh, it's it called for Fred to yell Yahoo, but Dad felt it didn't have enough exuberance, and that's what was needed. He continued, so he spontaneously came up with, which uh, was during a recording session, and Joe Barbera liked it. Mm-hmm. So it just started out as Yahoo. So there you go. That's how Yabba Dabba Do came to being. It was just from a simple word in the script that <laughs> set him to yell. Fred yells Yahoo. So there you go. It's sometimes it's very simple. <laughs> yeah, 
you know, had he said Yahoo, that would have been too much like a Western or something. Would have, yeah, but by Yahoo. saying, by creating this kind of nonsense word, yeah, you, it worked. It could have, and you're right, yabba dabba do. We all, we, anybody who's, you just know it. That's it's it. the catchphrase. That's one of the catchphrases. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those things where you yell and you know, you know what they're saying. Uh, uh, Shazam! You know, you just come up with these, these sayings that you know what they are. So uh, there's a little history, a little more history for you. I'm going to get into this next one here because we are running out of time, and I yes, wanted to are. get to these things before it got too late. I had a quiz for you, but we may have to bump that off to uh, to next week. But it's not a timely one, so we can do it at any time. Uh, William Conrad had a birthday this week, September, I think the 27th was William Conrad's birthday. An actor, a voiceover guy. Talk about what you talked about voiceovers earlier. This guy was a great voiceover artist, and his voice is everywhere. You just may not know everywhere that it is. But he was an interesting man. This is from MeTV.com. Quote, I have no desire to produce or direct again, and frankly, I'm not sure I have a desire to do anything else. Unquote. From William Conrad back in the day. Those of his words from a 1973 interview with the Ventura County Star. The actor was then in the middle of a production with his detective series, Cannon, a Quinn Martin production on CBS, one of the most successful Quinn Martin, Quinn Martin shows that was on, I think. In fact, I think Cannon spun off Barnaby Jones. I think Barnaby Jones, Buddy Abson, was on an episode of Cannon and then got his own show. Might be vice versa, but I'm not sure, but I think Barnaby Jones came from Cannon. While the demands of a leading series are certainly taxing, the article overlooks just how much time and effort William Conrad put into his career to get that far in the first place. After all... Cannon came as the culmination of more than three decades of hard work by William William Conrad. Not related to um, Robert Conrad, by the way, I don't think. You brought him up earlier with Wild Wild West. Conrad didn't just show up on the set. He put a life into building the resume that would land him the job. Quote, I'm nearly 53 years old. This is him in 1973. I'm nearly 53 years old. I've been working since I was 16. And after all those years driving myself, I've just reached the point where my motor is stuck in low gear, said Conrad. He was, at that point, a veteran of radio, film, and television. It was his deep, heavy-sounding voice that first characterized Gunsmoke's Marshal Matt Dillon, as Conrad was the mouthpiece for the hero in the CBS radio program, who went on to uh, be uh, James Arness, played him in the show. It wasn't just Gunsmoke that benefited from Conrad's warm yet authoritative voice in his 50-plus years prior to Cannon. William Conrad was the narrator 15 times. So by the time Cannon reached audiences' television sets, Conrad had been in demand for a long time. His voice was everywhere. Quote, after Cannon goes off the air, I'd like to discover what it means to just go off and do nothing else in my life. Unquote, said Conrad. He's very laid back after all that success. He was told around the same time that Cannon's sizable audience could carry the series for many, many years. CBS informed Conrad that the series could very well continue as long as he ch- chose to remain the star. Wouldn't you like to be told that? Mm-hmm. Wouldn't that be the most n- spectacular news you could be given? You want to play this character, Alan? Mm-hmm. Well, you play him as long as you want because it'll just go on. It's going right. to be great. That was a tricky situation, it says, though, for an actor who wanted to just stay still and not do much at all. (laughs) Gunsmoke was, at the time, the gold standard for a long-lasting television series, but Conrad had very little interest in staying aboard Canon, the TV show, for quite that long. Quote, in 17 years, I'd be crawling after the bad guys instead of chasing them if I stayed on the show. I wouldn't be chasing them, I'd be crawling. The rule of thumb in this business is supposed to be that after five years of the series, a lead is financially independent for life. I hope so, or back in the day it was. Because we're going into our third season at that time, which means I'll only have to work for two or three more years before the windfall should be mine, unquote. There you go, a little insight to uh, William Conrad's attitude 
about how you just didn't want to do anything after a while. Watch Cannon on MeTV weeknights at 3 in the morning. That's when they play it. <laughs> they also told him to never lose weight because he wouldn't look right as Cannon anymore. That's a, a problem to have. It's BK on the air. I live to eat and eat to live with everything seasoned perfectly. Herbs, spices, and no salt. Aha, you seasoned no salt. It's full of great tastes like paprika, celery, chili pepper, and the salt alternative that flavors like salt. I shake seasoned no salt, toss with it, oh, stew with it. <laughs> live to eat and eat to live. New seasoned and regular no salt. Mm. Ah, the famous Bonanza salad bar. Hey, this really inspires me. First, a bed of crisp, fresh lettuce, luscious ripe tomato, a ring or two of raw onion, a soupçon of crouton. Now, which salad dressing? Italian. Ah, French. Bonanza doesn't charge you for salad with your meal. Oh, may I? Even the second time around. Because at Bonanza, we want you to come back. BK on the air here. We're back. Final segment of the program. Can't believe how time goes by. I want to continue talking about William Conrad because he was had a fascinating career. And uh, some of the projects that he was the narrator or the voice of, you may or may not know, but I'm going to run through them right quick. Do you remember, Alan, did you watch Rocky and Bullwinkle, the yeah, cartoon? I did. Better known as the Rocky and Bullwinkle show, lovingly spoofed as the old film serials of cinemas in the early days. There was a dastardly villain trying, uh, tying damsels to the railroad tracks, all that stuff. Each episode ended with a cliffhanger over which actor William Conrad would announce two potential titles. Something along the lines of, be with us next time for Avalanche is Better Than None or Snow, Snow's Your Old Man. He was the one that provided the narration for <laughs> Rocky and Bullwinkle. That was William Conrad. The Fugitive. The Quinn Martin Show from 1963 to 67. A train speeds through the night. Name, Richard Kimball. Profession, doctor of medicine. Destination, death row. William Conrad declares as Kimball gazes at his reflection in the window. That's William Conrad's voice narrating the yes. opening of every episode of The Fugitive. He helped to set the tone as much as the of the uh, poetry of the opening of the show. Uh, that was him. Do you remember the Keep America Beautiful public service announcement from 1971, which had the uh, the Native American Indian in the canoe, yeah. and he turns around and there's a tear in his eye when he says, "Well, the uh, there's a narration, <laughs> yeah, the, the narration uh, of that uh, of that commercial, which goes, some people have a deep abiding respect for the natural beauty that was once this country, and some people don't. That's William Conrad." In that in that commercial, iconic commercial. Mm -hmm. It just made me sad as a kid to see that happen. It was real. Uh, what else did he do? A lot more. Nineteen seventy seven, the making of Star Wars. After the unpredictable, unprecedented blockbuster of Star Wars, there was loads of specials to continue mining its success. On September 16, 1977, mere months after the original theatrical release, ABC aired a behind-the-scenes look at the movie. It was billed as the making of Star Wars, as told by C-3PO and R2-D2. But William Conrad was the true narrator of this special. In his warm, leather voice, Conrad detailed the creation of this sci-fi spectacular uh, spectacle. It was one of the earliest documentaries of its kind about Star Wars because it just had come out, one that inspired thousands of children to become filmmakers themselves. Oddly, Conrad, Conrad for some reason, who knows why, Conrad's original narration for that show, that documentary, was replaced on the VHS version later. 
Could have been a contract thing. Who knows? Hmm. But I do remember seeing it in his voice. Do you remember the opening of Buck Rogers in the 25th century? Yes. Dun, dun, dun. Yes, Buck Rogers, frozen by frozen. temperatures. Blah, blah, blah. That's For William Conrad. Years. That's William Conrad. That's, I know the voice. If you needed to explain a concept or a backstory in 30 seconds, Conrad was your man. We miss it when TV shows would clearly explain themselves like this at the beginning. Instead, taking two pilot episodes to do it, he only did it in like 30 seconds in, a, in, a, in an opening narration for the TV show. William Conrad, we talked about we kind of talked about filmation. We talked about uh, Fat Albert with um, with uh, Pat McCormack, but William Conrad also worked for Filmation Cartoons as well every Saturday morning for a while. The Lone Ranger. Fiery horse with a speed of light, a cloud of dust, and a hearty high of silver, the Lone Ranger. Saturday mornings with Filmation Television, which you, which for a while wound up being the uh, Lone Ranger Tarzan Adventure Hour. They'd team him up with Tarzan. William Conrad provided the voice and the narration for the Lone Ranger in 1980 on CBS. He was also, um, he went under a pseudonym for the Lone Ranger. He wasn't billed as William Conrad. I think it was Jay Darnock. And I think it was a it was a play on his his, his name backwards. I mean, they took some it's, it's, so backwards at C O N R A D. That's sort of Conrad. I don't know where they got the J from, but he was billed as Jay Darnock as the voice of the Lone Ranger because it was him and uh, maybe his I think it was him and his manager didn't want him to be associated with the cartoon at the time cuz some people thought oh if you do the cartoon voice it uh, doesn't it's, 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 you're too you're too legendary of a person to be connected to that and I guess he bought that but I don't know it was kind of weird for him not to put his own name on there but it's him it is him there was a short-lived show in 1983 uh, I don't know if it started out on the on the early Fox shows or whatever but do you remember a show in, in the 80s called one called Manimal yeah, I about the man. guy who's a detective that, was, that turned into animals yeah, I or whatever. That was ABC, I thought. Well, uh, the uh, the crime-solving adventures of the shape-shifting man, Manimal, and I think it was Simon McCorkadale that played him. I think uh, it opened with the roar of a panther, but Conrad was the real beast behind the microphone, providing the uncredited, uncredited narration of the action hour. He actually spoke for uh, the the narration of the show, and for a long time, don't know whether you remember this or not. And I don't have one queued up. I should have, but there was a first. Al- you remember the first alert smoke detectors? Yeah, they were yeah. called first alert. Mm-hmm. For the longest time, he did the first alert commercials. It was William Conrad going, "Get the first alert, our alarm detector." You know, I think he just got pegged as being an authoritative voice, like, he, and he was like one when he said something like, <laughs> "I should probably do what he told." Me. Yeah, because <laughs> he has this voice, you know. Right. Kind of like uh, Morgan Freeman or uh, James Earl Jones. Any of those guys, William Conrad, they tell you to do something, pay attention mm. and do it. But legendary voice, William Conrad. His was his birthday. I did have some information on him like that, so I was glad to I was glad to bring it and play it. I've got one more story here. Can I squeeze this in before we end the show? I don't know. Well, I hope I, so. Otherwise, we're going to have five maybe, minutes of dead maybe air. Maybe I can. <laughs> Let's try. There's a concert coming up. There's a concert coming. If 
few identified as a little Danny Elfman Batman. That was Batman the Animated Series, which is pretty much the same theme to the 89 movie with Michael Keaton, directed by Tim Burton. There's a theme of Batman you'll never forget. DC announced the 35th anniversary concert for tour for Michael Keaton's 1989 Batman. To honor the anniversary, DC is organizing a special concert tour where the film's epic Danny Elfman composed soundtrack, the whole soundtrack to the movie, will be performed live in a symphony by an orchestra along with the film's screening. That's right, they are going to show this film on this. I didn't know they were going to show the screen, big film on the big screen as it plays, but they are. Now, the full schedule and ticketing information can be found at DC Film Concert. Batman was released on June the 23rd, 1989. The tour will commence at the Dolby Theater in Los Angeles, California on January 13th next year, 2024, and span across various cities, including Washington, D.C., Tampa, and Atlanta, here in Atlanta near us on Friday, February the 2nd. So that means we've got a little time to get ready for it. Additional dates will be also announced, giving fans across the globe a chance to witness the experience. Why it's hoped that Michael Keaton might make a surprise appearance during the tour somewhere, it is yet to be confirmed. Now, wouldn't that be cool if it was Atlanta where he showed up and we went to mm-hmm. see it? That would be nice. The tribute follows in the footsteps of similar event from last year, which featured the orchestra performance of the music to various DC movies, including 2017's Justice League and 2022's The Bat- the Batman and Black Adam as well. So DC's doing like a movie tour of music, kind of like they did with Harry Potter and The Empire Strikes Back and Star Trek and a lot of those that do that. I think it's awesome. You went to see Empire Strikes Back, and it was great. I got to go see the Star Trek presentation at the Fox, and there's something about hearing that music detached from the film and just hearing the detail that was put into it and how it is... Um, to go, but yeah. you'll be able to. Now they're doing it with Batman and Danny Elfman, and I think that's a good one to do it with. I, I would, I would look into if scheduling and the pocketbook yeah. uh, will allow us to Costs do it. Probably more than yeah. scheduling. I could schedule. That it. Might, I don't know if I can afford that it. Might be something <laughs> to do if we're not doing anything to go down and see. It's probably going to be at the Fox, I think, probably because that's where those orchestra things in Atlanta usually you don't think show it'd be up. At Atlanta Symphony Hall. Well, it might be Symphony Hall, but it was the Fox where we saw the Star Trek one, so oh. I don't know. They have them at different places. Was The Empire Strikes Back at Symphony Hall? Yeah. Okay. Then I guess they might use both Because it was part of the Atlanta the Symphony programming. Okay. Th- this may be. I don't know if it's part of their program. This sounds like it's independent of that, like it might it's a traveling a tour, show, yeah. but I don't know. Either place I'd go to because they're both great venues. It's, uh, it's very disheartening to know, to think that at one point in Atlanta, they were going to tear the Fox Theater down at one point. I know. And every time you go to it, you ask, Why? Every time I walk into that majestic place. It's a great theater. It's based on like the Arabian, you know, it looks like Arabian castle or something. It's got that motif yeah. that, that, that's beautiful. And I remember the story. very first time I walked into the to the to the Fox Theater, and I was like, "They really get you feeling like you're outside." Yeah, they like do. You're in a they do. <laughs> it's just it's amazing. And I was blown. I had never seats. seen a theater like that. You know, I'd never been to the Fox back in the day, but the first, you know, the first thing I saw at the Fox was uh first thing i saw at the fox was nutcracker mm. their presentation of the nutcracker with a live orchestra and acting out the entire ballet later on they started using recorded music but i think they have since went back to having the actual orchestra there uh play it so yeah that was that's always fun i i was the weird kid i was the one that always bought the soundtracks that were the orchestral scores the score. to film they're like yeah. what do you find that for i'm like because i like it I like it. I mean, I, I can I can blame going to the, when I went to the library, my local library growing up in Center, Alabama. They had a record player there. We could rent records, but listen to them while you're there at the library and put your headphones on and listen to them. 
back when we did that, you know. So I sat there and I, I rented a record once called Holst the Planets. Oh my goodness. By Leonard, it was, it was Holt, the composer was uh, Gustav Holtz, I think was his name, but it was a Leonard Bernstein, New York Philharmonic recording. And I just listened to it and I'm like, this is, this is, a, and this is after I'd already heard Star Wars, my Star Wars soundtrack by John Williams that I had on mm-hmm. record back at home. And I listened to Holtz the Planets and Star Wars and Holtz. The Planets, were the two records, the two pieces of music, the soundtrack to Star Wars, 1977, are the pieces of music that I blame, and I don't blame them in a bad way, I blame them in a good way, for my love of orchestrated classical orchestra music, be it, be it classical music or a film score. Right. I mean, think about it. We don't have a lot of time, but I told you before, when I did some research on this for a guy I was interviewing, that was a bomb when Holtz came out, because they were like, it had oh. no flow, it's cacophonous, yeah, it was and too now modern. you look at it and they go, oh. It's the template for our modern scores for soundtracks today. It really is. He really wrote, technically, your first movie score. <laughs> it is. It is. Even Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country, the main title is based on Mars, the beginning of Mars, the planets, believe it or not. It's BK on the Earth. Thanks for being here. Thank you for being here. So glad to be see back. See you next month. We'll see you next month and on the podcast. Guest stars Anne Baxter, Barry Sullivan, and special guest star David Jansen. Also starring Murray Hamilton, Tim O'Connor, Louise Troy, Lee Purcell. Tonight's episode He Who Digs a Grave. Goodbye.